This is Dr. Bob Patton. Welcome to Making Much of His Mission. His mission, of course, is to see many come to Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, so we can't be with Jesus Christ. The Bible says further, The wages of sin is death. We are separated from Him and ultimately will go to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gives us this as a gift. We can't earn it, but we can receive it. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become children of God. So as we receive Jesus Christ, he comes into our life, gives us his life, which is eternal life, and allows us to spend eternity with him. That is ultimately his mission. Let us all yield totally to the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as our personal Savior. And now, the message for today. Welcome to the Comparative World Religions Final Exam Review for December 2015. And in this, I will cover a lot of the material that you need to know to successfully complete your exam with a good, uh, with a good safer or a good uh, mark. It is important as we begin to look at the question of worldview. I'll just remind you that uh, worldview varies tremendously, but uh, if we don't know the worldview, it's difficult to give an accurate uh, presentation of the gospel to the individuals. Some worldviews uh, are monotheistic, such as, uh, well, three basically, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Some are polytheistic, that is, uh, like Hinduism, and uh, the old ancient Romans and Greeks. It's a little hard to figure out exactly where I'd place um, Buddhism in that category. And some are basically atheistic, such as uh, communism and secular humanism. There are also uh, some worldviews that uh, place Satan very high, Satanism, and uh, you have the Eastern mysticism, uh, which would be Buddhism, uh, especially Hinduism, TM, and the New Age movement. Now, in the West, we have basically developed what I would call a split worldview situation. Originally, when we went back to the time of the uh, medieval times, the basic break was between the creator and the creation. But with modernism and with the Enlightenment, the tendency has been to break between what you can see and what you can't see. What you can see is considered natural, what you can't see, supernatural. And so actually, since you can't see God, God is lumped into part of his creation because he had created angels and uh, demons. Uh, spirit world, and you can't see them, but he is apart from them. He is the creator. And so there's been a change uh, in this so that um, we now have science, which is basically a naturalistic, uh, materialistic, uh, and the supernatural, which is considered quote-unquote religious. Furthermore, we have a number of attitudes as we have developed in the West. Uh, 
one of the things is that our culture is superior and that anything supernatural like magic and so forth is pre-logical thinking and that as we become irrational and uh, scientific, the supernatural gets smaller and smaller and eventually disappear. And this culminates in such religion, religious beliefs as humanism. One of the things that comes into modernism in this is the belief of evolution. And evolution, in fact, is pushed to the point where it's not just evolution of natural things you can see, but also culture, religion, and so forth. For example, they would say you start with uh, the spirit world and the <clears throat> basic oral culture, such as we have in Suriname, then you develop to polytheism, then you develop a monotheism, and then we go beyond that. You come to a scientific uh, viewpoint with secular humanism, and that is the ultimate One of the problems with these is as the missionary goes into a developing world, often he will bring this split worldview with him. And so he actually secularizes the culture to a certain extent, making them uh, think about uh, the it, Well, let's put it this way. Uh, a lot of times uh, the missionary will believe that there is no such thing as a spirit world. That's simply a reference to old ways of thinking and that new ways do away with that. And so you secularize things, especially with animistic uh, religion. And also you turn off the nationals so they will not describe the problems that they're facing. It is uh, important also to recognize that worldview is rather easy to see in other people and rather difficult to see in yourself so that uh, the tendency is, okay, I see his worldview, but my worldview is normal. Uh, well, that's because you don't see it. He looks at it from the, his point of view, and he sees your worldview very well. And a lot of missionaries find out, ultimately, that the nationals see us quite well, and they see that we are basically materialistic, uh, as in our base, rather than uh, truly a Christian viewpoint. Now, it's important to remember then that as we come to another country, our goal is not to make another replica of the church in the USA, which is built to answer the problems of our worldview and our situation, but to transform lives, making them to become like Jesus Christ. You don't totally either uh, discard the heathen religion, a culture rather, or accept it. There are parts that will be compatible. There will be parts that are probably incompatible. And actually you'll find that Satan sometimes will use the culture to keep people from getting saved. And especially also to keep people from getting uh, to grow. For example, in the Bush Negro culture, the line of authority and the line of heredity passes through the woman. This makes it very difficult to develop a Christian family because the authority in the eyes of the young man is not his father, but it's his mother's brothers. Makes it very difficult. And of course, spirit world worship and that sort of thing is directly opposed to that of the Christian faith. 
Now, as we come to other faiths, for instance, let's look at classic Hinduism. Classic Hinduism believes that the real world, the world of reality, is not what you see. The material world is kind of a thing that confuses you, and it is really uh, not reality. Reality is behind that. They believe in reincarnation, that you don't really disappear when you die. You die and you come back as another individual, or perhaps as a um, an animal. And this is why certain animals are protected. For instance, the cow, the rat, the monkey. And then this occurs because of the work that you have done here on Earth this time. So the idea is to stay in your caste, be good, don't create problems, and next time around, maybe you'll come up at a higher level. This, of course, allows them to maintain the caste system. So their idea of reality is an impersonal, invisible, spiritual cosmos. And the goal is nirvana or samadhi or several different names that they use, but to, to be absorbed into the one. It's like a drop of water going into the ocean. Push, you're gone. That'll bring peace and fulfillment. Uh, the idea is not to develop and express your personality. Personality is ultimately to be simply uh, done away with and you are absorbed into the absolute one. This, by the way, is uh, similar to the New Age, which picks this up, of course, and its approach is to use various techniques. One of the techniques that he's used is meditation, uh, uh, TM. Another technique is yoga, and yoga is not just exercise. There are religious significance behind it. And the idea is to really reduce the personal value of the individual rather than raise him up, uh, except to say that in him is this divine one that can be reincarnated. But in terms of uh, stopping uh, killing people or something of that sort, really doesn't work. And in fact, we found in Suriname that a lot of people who are Hindu if things got too tough, they would opt out and uh, drink some gramoxone, that's uh, paraquat, and um, die. And we saw, I saw perhaps 50 or 60 cases of this while I was uh, there for five years as uh, <clears throat> the nominal leader of the uh, medical department. Now, I find it a bit strange that you can avoid uh, you, uh, you can kill yourself, but you have to avoid killing uh, other things like cows and monkeys and rats because it may be a reincarnated individual. That, to me, seems a bit strange. <clears throat> there is no belief <clears throat> in Hinduism for a personal creator. <clears throat> it is the impersonal Brahman. Now, they have other gods, many, many, many gods. They have the, uh, the uh, triumph. Uh, <clears throat> I think they call it Trimurti, uh, which is uh, three chief gods, Vishnu and uh, <clears throat> Brahman, and uh, now I'm blocking on the third uh, as well. Uh, <clears throat> the 
we also find, <coughs> pardon, <coughs> that um, you are not trying to get freedom from sin. <coughs> there is no concept of freedom of sin. You're caught in the cycle of karma, and the only way to get out is to be ultimately to go to nirvana. Otherwise, it's round and round and round and round. For instance, they would look at Jesus Christ. Likewise, they said, oh, he's a great ascended master. He is someone who has learned the secret that he is divine and can go back to nirvana, and he will show you that. Would they believe that he was resurrected in a, in a human or a physical body? No, not at all. <clears throat> So the world is not objective. The world is the world that you see is an illusion, and reality sits behind it. Now, a couple of the problems that we have, for example, are as the Hindus worship gods, who they say are simply reflections of the true ultimate reality. Although they have 33 million gods, and they say these are these are ultimately ways to get back to reality and such. They are, in fact, worshiping demons who will use those to masquerade. And one of the ways they use is transcendental meditation. And by the way, the words they give you, the name they give you, is usually the name of a Hindu god, and you're supposed to meditate on that and blank yourself out. <clears throat> they may claim that TM is scientific. I've had people claim that to me. I can remember discussing it with a fellow one time. It's not. Uh, it is not uh, a um, <clears throat> scientific thing uh, that's just purely science. Uh, you are actually involved in Hindu worship. In fact, when you go to the initiation ceremony, you bring in <clears throat> uh, a white handkerchief, some flowers, some fruit. You bow down before Guru Dev, who was the master for the Maharishi uh, Yogi, uh, who started TM. And they go into a long Hindu chant puja. Now, in contrast uh, to uh, Hinduism, uh, we find Buddhism. <clears throat> Hinduism has no primary person who started it. Uh, but, but Buddhism does. It was started by Siddhartha Garma, uh, Gautama, and it, he was, uh, by history, a noble prince. Uh, there was a tradition that, if, uh, that he would either be a great king or he would be a great spiritual leader. His father wanted to be a great king and tried to keep him from seeing any suffering or anything else. One day he went outside the castle, did it, see that, and then went as a monk, initially ascetic, almost died, and then was suddenly enlightened one day after several years of uh, wandering about and meditating and trying a variety of things, where under the bow tree he received illumination. And he found out that life is not pleasure but suffering. Suffering is life, and suffering is called by desire. So if you make the desire stop... <clears throat> then you get undermine the cause of suffering and you can make the desire stop not by asceticism which he tried and also not by um, 
also not by asceticism or also not by uh, pleasure, but by the middle way, which is between sensuality and asceticism and is a way to escape all of this. The way to get to the middle way, these are the four noble truths, our life is pleasure, suffering is caused by desire, cessation of desire, uh, ceases suffering, middle way gets that to happen, and how do you get that on the so-called eightfold path? Now, one of the things then you want to do is you want to become free from karma, and they do accept karma and reincarnation. What is ironic is they also say there is no God, and yet you find all kinds of idols uh, in Buddhism, uh, of Buddha, but many other things too. So it's like um, nirvana, blowing out a candle, poof, you're not there anymore. It is not like I live with God forever in heaven as an individual. Buddhism has uh, three major groups, Theravada and Mahayana are uh, two major groups, and then there's a tantric type of uh, Buddhism up in Tibet as well, which is much smaller than the other two. In Buddhism, you are not to interfere with the karma of a man, and uh, he is to work his out his own salvation uh, through uh, doing good deeds and going through the uh, eightfold path and all of these type of things. We, they do not view man as made in the image of God. They view as man as reaching up to God to try and pull himself up rather than God reaching down to man to help him. Now, folk Buddhism is very similar to what we see in animistic religion. Uh, you'll see ancestor worship. You'll see fear of uh, the spirits, including the spirits of parents, grandparents, spirits uh, around in uh, a variety of different places. Uh, they also do some things that are different than I have seen. One of the things they put emphasis on is tattoo protection. They will use tattoos to protect themselves or to get spiritual power. They also have amulets and belts. We surely had amulets and belts where I was, but I should say amulets, but not belts. Sometimes it gets kind of gross with the folk religion, and one of the most powerful amulets is actually a dried human fetus. There's a lot of debate as to how you get the fetus, whether the woman actually has to give you permission or not, whether she dies or not, but they claim that this dried human fetus can give you all kinds of insight and special power. In addition to that, um, you may worship uh, your ancestors' bones. Uh, you have... Um, you may put it in the house, the spirit, uh, the house has spirits, uh, the village has spirits, the forest has spirits, the rivers have spirits, sometimes a large tree has spirits. All of these various things uh, are worshipped in folk Buddhism. Thus, if you're going to try to reach a Buddhist, it's going to be important to go back to the basics. One of the basics is that there is a creator who created everything. They don't uh, understand that. And you need to show that there is not only the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of Satan, and we need to be transformed out of the kingdom of Satan to the trans 
kingdom of God and our spiritual victories through Jesus Christ, not through uh, meditation, not through the eightfold path of the and the four noble truths. We can talk a little bit also about uh, Judaism for just a few minutes. We remember that uh, Judaism came from Abraham. Now, also from Abraham came the Islam, and they trace themselves back to, uh, to Abraham, but they trace themselves back through Ishmael. So Judaism comes from the family of Abraham and also the family of Isaac, but the family line of Ishmael is the family line that goes into the Arabic groups that became ultimately, much later on, the Muslim groups. Remember that um, some of the characteristics that we see in modern Judaism are, among thing, other things, the synagogue. I can remember seeing a number of these uh, when I traveled in the uh, northern part of Chicago. And of course, there's a huge number of Jews, I think close to two million, in Brooklyn, New York. The synagogue was not present uh, initially with Abraham, and uh, it was not present even after the Jews went down to Egypt and came back. It was really after the destruction of the temple the first time and the dispersion of the Jews that the synagogue began to be developed uh, with the uh, and was there uh, at the time of the Second Temple, which was, of course, the time of Christ. And then the Second Temple was destroyed, but the synagogues persisted and were a place of worship scattered throughout the world. Of course, Paul used the synagogue a great deal uh, during his time to reach uh, especially not only the Jews, but the God-fearers during that time. During the time of Christ and Paul, there were several groups of Jews that were... Uh, important. One that you hear about a lot is the Pharisees. They were, this, in many ways, very strict. Uh, they believed in uh, angels. They believed in the resurrection. Uh, but they were tied to tradition, and they tended to be very hypocritical. The Sadducees were the more worldly group. They uh, were tied to the priestly group, and they had lots of money and lots to lose um, by, if, for instance, from people like Jesus, uh, or even Paul, uh, as the same th would be the same thing. They believed in the books of Moses, that is the Pentateuch, but not much else as far as that is concerned. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. When you're dead, that's you're dead. And so they would be, I would say, similar to the Sadducees. The Essenes were a group where they basically spent uh, a lot of time in meditation, uh, working on the scriptures and so forth. They might be considered sort of like a monk later on. The Zealots, on the other hand, were hotheads who were firing uh, fire in their hearts to get rid of the Romans and restore the country back to uh, the freedom that they originally had. And so they chafed under the Roman government and they would cause uprisings and killings and that sort of thing. One of the moves, uh, movements in modern times that I find very sad 
is the thing they call restoration theology. It's important to recognize that restoration theology is a re- in recent times has chosen to say that the Jews have been replaced by the church. You might think from the name that this means God will restore the Jews to their promised land, the Israel. It means exactly the opposite. It's 100% other way around. And I found it rather sad that some of the people that believe this included people from my former background before I became a Baptist, which was Presbyterian. Where the, and so you will find these groups, like in the Presbyterian Church, where they will support the Palestinians. And they will say, Israel does not have right to the land anymore. They forfeited that when they, uh, when they arranged for their own Messiah to be killed. God got rid of them. He's not using them anymore. He never will. The church has taken the place. Now that, by the way, is not biblical. I really can't figure out how you can believe that if you read Romans uh, chapters 9 through 11, which seem pretty clear to me about the restoration of the Jews and the land back to them during the millennium. Now the Jews themselves, we had talked about at the time of Christ, we have the Sadducees and Pharisees and Essenes and Zealots, the major groups we have today are Orthodox, conserv- conservative, uh, and uh, what they call Reformed. Now, the Orthodox are very strict, and they would go back to the rules and regulations. They would be the type. I had a friend of mine who, uh, when I thought back on it later on, was an Orthodox. He would wear his little hat on the back of his head, even when we played tennis. I tried to call him on Saturday, didn't think about it. He um, wouldn't answer the phone. Don't answer the phone on Sabbath. That's the Sabbath. Uh, I hadn't thought about the fact that we prayed tennis on Sunday afternoon, but we never played it on Saturday. Never occurred to me. His daughter and our our kids became friends, and so when uh, we were to have a birthday party, my wife went out and bought a special cake that they could eat because... uh, they wanted to have that kosher uh, type food. So that's the Orthodox. Conservative are um, basically more, of, they're basically Bible-revealing in the sense of the Old Testament, uh, but not as strict. For instance, the Orthodox, a really strict Orthodox, would not go more than, than about uh, half a mile uh, on the Sabbath uh, walking. Reformed are much more modern. Some of them are virtually atheist, uh, and it's more a cultural thing that is there than the actual belief in uh, the Bible per se. I wouldn't call them generally Bible-believing. I had some friends I know that would fit into uh, the Reformed category. The Jews uh, do not want intermarriage, Of course, the Reformed would be more likely to do that, but the Jews have been very concerned that the number of intermarriages between Jews and non-Jews, or Gentiles like us, has been increasing, and this is very distressing to the Jews, and over the last 30, 40 years, they are concerned that the Jews will lose their uh, Jewishness because they are absorbed into this huge group of Gentiles. 
One of the things that um, I found very sad is I did have some Jewish friends before, and after I got saved, I tried to witness to them. I tried using several of the classic Messianic verses, which are the, the strongest verses showing that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. The strongest, I believe, is the whole section in, in Isaiah 53, uh, talking about how he is taking our sin upon him. We also, uh, then there's Psalm 22, which describes very vividly uh, the crucifixion, and then the special part of the crucifixion, talking about them actually gambling for his clothing. The sections in early Isaiah, where we talk about the virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14. We talk about, there, for us, a son is given, run Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be, among other things, wonderful and counselor, but then the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Very strange names. Micah 5.2, where it talks about the fact that he, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And then, of course, the long section of detailed timing in Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks. Unfortunately, what I've found in talking to uh, Jewish friends is that they accept absolutely none of these. And I've gone to uh, the internet as well and found that Jewish sites reject every one of these, for reasons that are not clear to me, uh, as not valid. An illustration, a friend of mine, Ron Carlson, uh, went to Israel at the end of a um, nice view of some things, the rabbi said, uh, do any of you have any questions? And so Ron, never ashamed to ask, stuck up his hand and said, uh, sir, what do you do as a Jew? What do you do with Isaiah 53? Meaning, of course, how do you handle this as far as Jesus being the Messiah? The man looked at him rather annoyed and say, we ignore it. Are there any intelligent questions? And I think that shows the deliberate blindness. I don't want to know. Well, we'll move on. We'll move on to look briefly at uh, the religion of Islam. It's not the world's largest religion, although some people think it is. It's the world's second largest religion. The largest religion is Christianity. Uh, some will say it's the fastest growing religion. That is true if you consider all Christendom as Christian. If you're talking about Bible believers, true Christ followers, it is not true. Um, evangelical Christianity, meaning Bible believing true believers, is the fastest growing religion, despite the persecution by the Muslims, perhaps in partially because of that. Now, Islam does dominate the Middle East, although, strangely, only about 20% of all Muslims live in the Middle East, and of all things, Indonesia is the largest country with the largest Muslim population in the world. However, it is true that uh, Islam is now the second largest religion in uh, Europe, and it is growing fast, and Europe is shrinking. And one could wonder uh, if that's going to 
switch. Also, secularism has become dominant in Europe, and Europe is a real mission field at this point in time. Now, if you really go to classic Islam, classic Islam is really tied back to the 7th century Arabian culture of Muhammad, because that is used as their model. Thus, it clashes with modern culture. And as the United States represents Western modern culture, we are the great Satan. Islam is, ties everything together. Culture and religion cannot be separated. Religion and politics cannot be separated. It's all into one big uh, pot, you can say. And politics, family, uh, everything is tied together. Because of the structure of Islam, it is basically incompatible with democracy. It has no concept of individual personal rights or civil rights. The authority is in the boss. In general, they would say the sheikh. He is the authority and the structure of Muslim. Well, Islam means submission and a Muslim is one who submits. So you can see that that whole structure is uh, makes democracy very difficult. And in fact, our relationship uh, with God and the Christianity is he is our father and we are his children. That is not true of Islam. He is far away. He is the master and we are his slaves. Now that is the ideal for them. Thus, when someone wants to switch from Islam to Christianity, it's a huge problem. First of all, technically, they are apostate, and the punishment for apostasy, according to the Sharia law that is present in many Muslim countries, is death. The family will oppose, and it's a very strong family-oriented thing. This brings tremendous shame to the family, and they will often uh, they will reject you. They may try to kill you and, and have an honor killing. By the way, that is usually not punished by the government, uh, at least in the Muslim areas. Uh, friends will ridicule you. Tremendous social pressure. You may find problems getting a job. You may find trouble buying things. All of these things pile up. Now, the philosophy of Islam makes salvation seem rather strange to them. See, they don't believe that man is a sinner. Oh, man is weak, but he's basically good. And if he tries hard enough, you just have to remind him and encourage him to do the things that he needs to do. And you do you do it routinely, and everything hopefully will be all right. You don't know for sure, of course, you're going to heaven unless you die as a martyr, uh, a shaheed. But so... That way, Jesus becomes a prophet, but uh, he is not more than a prophet. He is only a prophet. And Jesus, the Son of God, sorry, God has no son. He cannot have a son. Uh, Jesus, born of a virgin, yep. Uh, went to heaven, yep. Without sin, no problem. But... Jesus did not die because that would be shame given to God's prophet. Impossible. 
and he did not rise from the dead. He did go to heaven, but he didn't. He went directly. And what God did is he changed someone else to look like Jesus, so they crossed. They crucified the wrong man, and Jesus just, God took him up to heaven. That is their picture. By the way, they believe he'll come back. As a Muslim, Mary, uh, stay on the earth 40 years after destroying all the Christians and the Jews and um, die a good Muslim and be buried by beside Muhammad. Now, prior to uh, Muhammad, the culture there uh, was not a very um, spiritual culture. They worshipped all sorts of idols, mostly stones. Uh, the, they had a moon god. Uh, they would um, they worshipped, among other stones, the black stone, which they felt uh, fell from heaven, probably did in the sense that it was probably a meteorite. Uh, so they were not a monotheistic religion. This was brought in by Muhammad, and he brought in a number of other good things as well. They have a special worship place where they feel is perhaps one of the most holy places uh, in the world called the Kaaba. It's a basically a cubic structure. It is in <clears throat> Mecca and is about 50 by 40 by 40, I understand, or some, uh, about the, the, although I don't know the exact dimensions. Now, according to the Muslims, the Kaaba was built to worship by Adam was destroyed by the flood and then was rebuilt by Abraham and get this Ishmael not Isaac but Ishmael so uh, then all sorts of other polytheistic stones and other things were brought in but when ultimately Muhammad got uh, total control he cleaned out the entire uh, all the idols out of the Kaaba left the black stone, and that is still used as part of the Hajj today. Muhammad himself uh, was a um, orphan and raised first by his grandparents, <coughs> excuse me, after his mother died, his grandfather raised him, and then he died, and so he was raised by Abu Talib. He became a um, very successful um, caravan man and uh, was spotted by a relative of his, Khadija, a rather attractive, apparently, 40-year-old woman who married him when he was only 25. He uh, had worked as a camel driver and then worked to bring her profits and did uh, handsomely, and so they lived happily, had six kids during that period of time until her death 25 years later. He was 50 at the time. She was 65. Later on, we'll find that he... Uh, married probably in the neighborhood of 11 other wives, the favorite of whom was Aisha, uh, who had the uh, was the only virgin that he married, by the way. All the rest were women that had had husbands before, either died or were captured. Uh, a few were captured in, uh, in fighting. And uh, he uh, had her come into the harem at age seven, consummated his marriage with her at age nine, and she was his favorite wife. Now, he set up his religion, and as this was revealed through uh, some visions that he got from a spirit being identified as the angel 
uh, Gabriel in the cave of Hira over many years, uh, several pillars of Islam occurred. There are five major pillars. Number one is the Shahada or the creed. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. It would be a translation in English. should be said, however, with meaning and with feeling and in Arabic for the person to become a true Muslim. There's our ritual prayers after ritual washings, specified five times a day, praying towards Mecca. During the There was psalm during the month of Ramadan, uh, that is um, fasting from dawn till dusk, uh, no water, no food, no sex, and I think probably no smoking, although I'm not sure that's so specified during that period of time. And then you can have your feasting and other things during the rest of the, from the nighttime, from the time that sun goes down till the sun comes up. The uh, alms to the poor, uh, this is a cot. It's not always to the poor. It can be also for a variety of other things, uh, like f f to help with jihad. And then the hajj, which is, occurs once in a lifetime, and which is a trip to Mecca uh, with a number of prescribed things that need to be done. Islam spread rapidly through the sword. Uh, for the first 13 years, basically Muhammad preached. When he moved from Mecca to Medina and the Hajira, he then rapidly moved to power over the next few years and eventually ended up basically ruler of all of Arabia. He spread uh, his uh, conversions with the sword. You had the choice of uh, convert or die, except for the people of the book, that is the uh, Christians, uh, Jews, and Zoroastrians who could, as an alternative, pay a jizra tax, which is a rather high tax, to be a protected person so you don't have to die and you don't have to become a Muslim, but you do not spread your faith to others. Uh, Islam spread rapidly across to Spain. In fact, it was dominant in Spain for 800 years. It was finally stopped coming up on the, that side by Charles Martel. They also, on the other side, took over the Persian Empire and went up eventually capturing Constantinople, um, uh, renaming it, uh, and then moving all the way up uh, a couple times to Vienna before they were stopped. The group of Muslims split after there was a considerable dissension as to who should follow Muhammad, and ultimately after the death of the fourth, quote-unquote, righteous uh, caliph, that is Ali, and then uh, the problem with his children uh, being killed by a, a competitor from uh, a group in um, Syria, the group split into the Sunni, with a more traditional, uh, larger group of Muslims representing about 90%, and the Shia, or those who follow uh, Ali. There are also a group of that is called the Sufi. Um, some people think of them as the whirling dervishes. These are people who have uh, get mystical experiences. And then there are smaller groups like the Alawite and a number of other smaller groups as well. 
Unfortunately, the Muslims have several misunderstandings about Christian belief, partially probably because, number one, the Bible had not been translated into Arabic at the time of Muhammad, and number two, that uh, there were aberrant Christian groups scattered throughout Arabia who were teaching false doctrine. So the Muslims have the idea that when we talk about uh, Jesus as the Son of God, that meant that God the Father actually went and had sexual relationships with Mary in a human type of form. And they believe that the Christian believes that Mary is a God, and God the Father is a God, and Jesus is a God, and so each of them are one God and one God and one God are three gods. And so they have these misconceptions about our belief, that we believe in three gods, Uh, that's what the Trinity means, of course that's wrong. We believe that Mary is a God. That's wrong also, although you can see with uh, the Catholicism moving in the direction it is, why they would come to that conclusion. And that uh, Jesus, mean, as the Son of God, they can only picture as not talking simply about a relationship spiritually, but a physical sexual relationship with Mary, which of course is an anathema uh, to the uh, Christian. How do they come up with that? Well, that's their belief, and they say, well, but you say that doesn't agree with the Bible. Yes, that's correct. And they are not dumb. They realize that. But they say that what has happened is that the Jews and the Christians have corrupted the Bible. Now, there's some good answers to that, among other which is that we have Bibles go far before the time of um, Muhammad's birth, even, that say exactly the same thing that our current one does. Now, we believe that uh, God gives uh, salvation as a free gift. We believe that God also, uh, as he forgives, changes our heart and establishes a strong personal relationship with him. We do not believe that we can win over sin simply by working hard and doing uh, certain works. Of course, the Muslim does believe that, that the problem is, that you, have, you are weak and you need to exercise your faith and do your best. That's kind of like liberalism in some senses. Also, some other dif- uh, differences include the following, that the Muslim uh, says that Allah loves people who love him, but he does not love sinners. Allah is far away from man. Allah realizes that um, man is weak and thus he must submit. He does not agree that he's a sinner by nature or that he needs supernatural power to uh, overcome sin. His idea is that Adam and Eve knew what God wanted them to do, but oh dear, they forgot. They also would deny that anything that Adam and Eve did affected anyone else. They believe that mankind is basically good. He's not perfect, but he's good. And so the prophet's job is to remind us, don't sin. As I mentioned before, it's interesting that the Quran does teach that Jesus was born of a virgin and that Jesus did not sin. It doesn't say that Muhammad did not sin. Uh, It does not say that at all. But it does say that Jesus never sinned and that he was born of a virgin. 
However, as I mentioned before, they deny the death, burial, and resurrection, which is a key to the Christian faith. It is true that Muslims improved somewhat the relationship of women, which was present when Muhammad took over, at which time women were basically like a, a piece of chattel, something that you would buy and sell. Uh, but there are a number of things that are still quite different from what we would think. For example, it's quite possible for a man to have as many as four wives. It's also possible to have temporary wives, uh, at least by some groups, uh, like say a one-night stand, so to speak. Uh, the man can divorce a woman, but for a woman to divorce a man is a major problem. Men can uh, discipline their wives, first by admonishing them verbally. If that doesn't work, don't sleep with them, uh, don't have relations with them. If that doesn't work, then you're allowed to beat them. And they even show them sometimes, this is the kind of rod you should use to beat your wife. The woman also uh, her testimony is only half of that of man, and her inheritance is only the half of that of the man. I mentioned also, I believe, that uh, certain areas, uh, things uh, can be cause the death penalty, the biggest one of which is apostatism, and that may include, among other things, insulting uh, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, desecrating the Quran, and some people have even said, "Oh, if you're not a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're not a Muslim, and you touch the Quran, you're desecrating it." Uh, this has been used many times as a weapon against uh, against the Christians. There is also folk religion in Islam, just as there is in virtually all the major religions, uh, and. In that situation, the Muslims involved in folk religion are concerned about placating demons, and we have seen obvious situations where demonic control was uh, or oppression was present uh, in Muslim individuals. They're also concerned about such things as curses and sorcery. We'll move on now uh, to talk a little bit about Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism is indeed the single largest uh, one of the churches within Christianity. Its major problem is not what it does believe uh, that it takes away as much as it is what it believes it adds through the traditions of the church. And you can trace these back beginning really with the time of Constantine when it was no longer illegal to be a Christian and became suddenly very popular. And huge groups of, of um, heathen people, pagans, poured into the church, bringing their heathen uh, rites with them, and then they quote-unquote Christianized them. The Roman church, unfortunately, believes they're the only one church, the only true church, and ultimately they are the way to get to heaven, uh, not any other way. They believe that they can trace themselves back to Peter as the first pope, which is rather unusual when you consider, among other things, that Peter was married. So what they do is they add all kinds of traditions to the teaching of the Bible, and if the traditions in the Bible conflict, ultimately the traditions went out. So the Constantine 
looking like it was great that they took off the uh, sort of death penalty and all of the persecution that occurred. This will be wonderful for the church to go ahead, but actually it did not because it, the church became very contaminated and over a period of time drifted far from what the apostolic church was like. For example, they pray to Mary and they believe in fact that Mary may be the best way to get to heaven. They believe the church is built on Peter. They uh, believe that uh, after death, in most cases, you do not go directly to heaven. You go to a place called purgatory where your sins are purged, they're burned off. And there are ways that you can pay the church to do certain ceremonies to shorten your time there. They worship images. And in fact, uh, it's quite clear in the Ten Commandments that you're not to bow down to any images. If you look at their uh, catechism, you'll find that in, they have Ten Commandments also, but the commandment not to bow down is gone, and they take Commandment 10, split it up into two, so you still end up with Ten Commandments, but there's nothing said about not bowing to images. Then saints are canonized. Mary has been uh, venerated, uh, and they're talking about her as co-redemptrix, that she, <coughs> excuse me, and Jesus work together. Uh, we pray, uh, we believe also that uh, they teach also that uh, the priesthood has to be celibate. Now it's only been for a thousand years or so, originally that was not the case, and Ultimately, as I said, tradition and the church and the Bible are supposed to be equal, but the Bible is only valid as the church interprets it. So this means ultimately that the church determines the, the traditions and also the interpretation of the Bible. The Bible is a subject to the church, not the church to the Bible. As far as Mary is concerned, they now teach that she was born without sin. She's the queen of heaven. She's the mother of God. Uh, and they will say prayers to her. They also have the Roman Catholic Mass, which they claim is a sacrament which confers grace, and that the priest, by his words, can actually make a wafer made out of bread and wine that is taken off the grapes actually change literally into the body and blood of Christ. Of course, as you look at this, the book of Hebrews is totally, totally against this and destroys that whole concept. The Roman Catholic Church does believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection, but they do not believe in salvation apart from works. Salvation by faith is due to uh, some works, and some of the, and the works include the sacraments, which are carried by the church. Therefore, if you're in the church, you can go to heaven. You're not a problem for you. Do they believe in heaven exists? Yes, they do. We'll move on now to um, briefly to look at uh, the New Age movement. The New Age movement has actually um, taken a number of concepts from the Eastern religions, uh, including uh, the idea that man has godlike potential, uh, but in addition to that, they have adopted some things from secular humanism, that man is supreme, 
man ultimately is the boss of all things, and that creation does not occur, evolution is accepted, and thus Christianity must be rejected. The New Age movement also takes from the East pantheism and an impersonal cosmos that we are one with nature. And thus the New Age movement will, among other things, save nature, save, hug a, uh, save the whales and hug a tree. They use a, a number of different methods, including channeling of spirit guides, astrology, using crystals for vibrations, a variety of other things, tarot cards and other things. And the spiritist cults, which are a spin-off of these and move more towards Satanism, also involve seances and palmistry and witchcraft. All of those things are mixed together uh, in spiritism. Very dangerous and can move into frank Satanic worship. We'll move briefly to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses uh, put us to shame in some areas. In terms of making literature available, they are the largest publisher in the world, at least in the free world. They think that they have now passed that of the U.S. government, at least that's neck and neck. They've had plans to visit every home once or more each year. Uh, and this is um, quite a challenge. Their teachings include the following. All government, apart from the Jehovah's Witness theocentric or theocratic government, are satanic in origin. They believe that uh, transfusions is prohibited in the Bible by eating blood. Well, it's not the same as eating blood, but they, pre they refuse translations. To support some of their rather strange uh, beliefs, they have their own translation of the Bible, supporting their teachings. And it's quite remarkable that this church, which was started, oh, 150 years ago by a fellow by the name of Charles Taze Russell, has continued to grow over the years and has now spread throughout the world. They believe that they are the only channel of God's truth the only channel that can properly interpret the Bible, and thus if you reject the organization, that then you are rejecting God. And God has chosen the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower publication to give his truth to the world at this particular time. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny a number of basic Christian doctrines, including the deity of Christ, the person of God and the, the person of the Holy Spirit, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the visible return with the saints. He's returned invisibly already, according to them. They do not believe in um, eternal security, and they deny that people will be consciously punished in hell forever. They believe that ultimately you are simply um, you simply disappear. You're no longer, you're un, I don't know how to exactly say that. If you're, you're uncreated, I guess, would be the way that they might say it. They also believe that Jesus uh, is a spirit uh, and actually is the angel Michael, that he returned invisibly in 19, 
14, they actually built a place for some of the other prophets that were supposed to come shortly thereafter. Another cult that has grown rather substantially is that of the Mormons. The Mormons believe in the law of eternal progression, that is, that God used to be a man like we are, and now we can become gods like he is. And we can have our own we can have our uh, own planet, and we can have eternal celestial sex, make spiritual um, spiritual beings that can get bodies, and uh, live happily ever after. They believe that uh, Elohim was a man just like us, who later became God, developed Godhood. Now, two of his sons were Lucifer and Jesus. Uh, they decided to populate a place called the Earth. Uh, Lucifer wanted to force everybody to um, accept Godhood uh, and him as Savior. But Jesus said, no, we ought to have it, uh, a voluntary thing. And the people voted and voted for Jesus. After which Lucifer got mad and took a one-third of the spirit children, rebelled, and they changed into demons. They also believe that... Uh, there's a great war uh, that Jesus came, actually, had um, was uh, that Elohim came uh, to Mary. She made Jesus. He married at least three wives, like a good Mormon. Uh, Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene had children, one of whom was Joseph Smith. That he had come to the uh, Western world, and the Indians were really the leftover uh, Israelites after they had been dispersed. And the dark-skinned ones and the light-skinned ones fought. Dark-skinned ones had been uh, cursed because they were neutral in the question of um, whether to follow uh, Lucifer or not. And they actually destroyed all the light-skinned ones. Last one, uh, Moroni wrote stuff down on a... uh, bunch of plates in reformed Egyptian is what they would say and then buried it and then returned to show up uh, to Joseph Smith showed him that all Christian doctrines and Christian churches were a domination or, or an abomination excuse me I didn't pronounce that well and that Mormons can choose their prove their worth uh, to become gods themselves by finances uh, giving a certain percentage of their money regularly, moral requirements, among which other things is avoiding any kind of caffeine or basically hot drinks, and secret temple rituals, many of which seem to resemble that of the Masonic Lodge. Mormons will stand before Jesus, Elohim, and Joseph Smith, and they believe that Joseph Smith, who was killed in a riot, uh, had actually shed his blood and had done more for mankind than even Jesus and Elohim. The Book of Mormon itself has a large section taken out of the King James Bible absolutely word for word. Interestingly, the King James Bible puts words in italics to make sense of the words in English, and the even the things in italics were also put into the Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon also 
has a description of these these battles and so forth. It's never been uh, substantiated by any archaeology, and in fact, much of the history is against it. Uh, among other things, they talk about certain animals coming here, uh, including horses and others, and place them perhaps a thousand years prior to the time they actually came to the, to the New World, when they were brought over from the Old World, about uh, the 16th, 15th, 16th century. So the Book of Mormon has no support from science, no support from archaeology, and the, and the Book of Mormon, there's no evidence to support it at all. Furthermore, the Book of Mormon has not remained the same because there are many changes and many corrections uh, because of many inconsistencies that have been present. It's very difficult to sort out uh, the uh, Mormon heaven and hell. Uh, it appears that uh, Mormon hell is reserved for those who fail to be redeemed by Jesus Christ, and especially those who reject the Mormon belief. Uh, this may include such people as Christians, but it's kind of difficult to sort through the whole uh, doctrine. What we can say is that the Mormon hell and the doctrine of, of hell, as well as the doctrine of heaven, is totally different from the Bible. That we can say it is inconsistent with the Bible. Going on to atheism for a brief period of time, atheism, ath, the negative, theism is belief in God, atheism or atheism as we would say it, is no God, uh, and deism believes there is a God, but the God we had, uh, he started everything, but then he's no longer involved in the, uh, in the current uh, activities on earth. In other words, he may be the great watchmaker who built the watch, wound it up, and then <clears throat> took off and did something else. Now, the Bible says that this is intellectually indefensible, and the Bible really calls an atheist a fool. The fool hath said in his heart, no God. Uh, Psalm 14, also Psalm 53. The Bible says that God is revealed through his creation. Now, atheism may say, well, we don't have a religion, but they are. It's a worldview that has a religion as well. Now, to really say there is no God, then you really have to say that you have all knowledge. You know everything about everywhere. Otherwise, it would be possible that God would be somewhere, somehow, that you didn't know about it. So from a theoretical point of view, atheism doesn't make any sense. Now, atheists often will accept evolution. They really want to get away from a creator to whom they are responsible. However, evolution has enormous problems. First of all, it is against the laws of probability. The laws of probability, even to make a single protein, uh, are incredibly great. And to think of a so-called simple cell, well, we know now that a simple cell is not simple. The laws of probability are totally totally against this. Evolution, they claim, is scientific. But what they are using as evolution in general, they're talking about historical evolution, is not uh, a scientific thing because it is attempting to explain origins. And origins is talking about history. And science 
is something that you can see and then you can repeat. And you cannot repeat creation. So it is impossible to be use the scientific method of repeated observation, repeated experimentation. Normally when we did a science, uh, experiment, we would have a hypothesis, we'd design an experiment, we'd do it a number of times so that we could prove the hypothesis was false. And if it was not proved false, then you could assume that that appeared to be true. But you can't do that with historic evolution. And, in fact, as Louis Pasteur said, life begins life. There's no evidence that you can start from scratch and create life. They said, well, they've made DNA. Well, what they did is pull some of it apart and then put it back together. But they didn't start from scratch. They had to have the basics beforehand. Other problems. Um, they tend to have circular reasoning. Well, the fossils prove it. Well, how do you know that? Well, the fossils are in old rocks. How do you know the rocks are old? Because the fossils are in it, and they're old fossils. So that's circular reasoning. Uh, where are the, all the missing links? We now have billions of fossils. If there were m missing links, uh, they should have shown up long ago. Carbon-14. For example, we find some carbon-14 uh, in objects and subjects that are dated, according to other methods by the evolutionists, as millions of years old. But carbon-14 decays very rapidly. At about uh, 5,700 years, it drops its half-time. So once you get about uh, to 100,000 100, years or so, the amount of carbon-14 is vanishingly small. But they're finding it in these things that are supposed to be millions of years old. So there are lots of problems. On the other hand, uh, they deny the universal flood. But the flood can explain a lot. First of all, it can explain fossils, because fossils in general require rapid burial. If you think of, for example, there were millions and millions of buffalo killed uh, as the United States uh, white man moved west, and they, especially as they put through the uh, railroad and other things. But you don't see these bones. They are eaten up, destroyed, and so forth. But fossils occur when things are rapidly buried. In fact, some places they're buried so fast that you can actually see blood vessels and muscle uh, or, and check and see muscle and other substances there. Oil and coal deposits. You say, well, what's so great about that? Well, it's usually uh, pressured uh, vegetable matter. But how do you explain that that's the case under the Arabian Desert, for example? interesting question, or in Antarctica and Antarctica. So these can be explained better by the universal flood, which would allow this type of thing to occur ahead of time, and then pressure occurs to make those occur. Evolution destroys the ultimate value of human life in the sense that we are just another developing animal. We are an assembly of molecules, and thus it undermines the great worth of human life because we were created in God's image. What is sad is that <clears throat> when you deny that, you deny the 
great worth that God has. And we have ultimate worth. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. God wants us to live with him for eternity. It is true we rebelled, but God has made a way for us to go to heaven. And um, he has made every one of us unique. Each of us has his own special talents. And he wants a personal relationship with every one of us. This gives us values. Furthermore, we are adopted into Christ's family. We are given his righteousness. We, he has taken, given us all spiritual blessings, all things that are needed for godliness. He gives us his word. He gives us the spirit, not only to guide us, but to empower us. Well, can't we put all two together? How about theistic evolution? Doesn't work. It's an the idea of theistic evolution, by the way, and if you have a if you have a Schofield Bible and you look in the section in Genesis one and two, you'll find hmm, he believes in the gap theory. Uh, you will find that theology, uh, theistic evolution, is attempting to say God used evolution uh, to accomplish what He's done. But this means then that God made an imperfect world uh, that needed to be improved because we find death and um, disease and cannibalism and all sorts of things occurring uh, in his world. And yet God, when he finished his creation, said everything is good. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep yourself, uh, quote-unquote, politically correct, uh, intellectually acceptable, uh with the world today, and yet maintain that I believe the Bible is true. Now, humanists believe in evolution. Strangely, you can have secular humanism. That's the one that I see most of the time. But I was surprised to find it's even possible to have religious humanism. Uh, and you have humanist manifesto one, two, and three. Uh, some of the things that we can talk about in Manifesto 2, uh, revealed religion, the Bible, no, imposed. Weapons of mass destruction, opposed. Okay. Legal divorce, oh yes, that's great. Abortion, no problem. That's part of Human Manifesto 2. You can see these are quite uh, much uh, against uh, Christianity. Human Manifesto 3, well, we know because we use our brain and we see and we experiment, we can derive our values from that. Humans are just a part of nature. They're unguided evolution. They just happened. And how do we get ethical values? From human need. Now, how do you go to justify that human need causes ethical values, I can't say because in evolution, it's survival of the fittest, and that goes directly against human needs. But they're a little bit inconsistent there. Okay. So the humanistic that says then, okay, we go for evolution, science, and technology. Forget religion. What can you do? Well, abortion, no problem. Sex without commitment, sure, why not? Enjoy. Homosexuality, no problem. Lesbianism, same thing. What happens, however, in humanism, and by the way, humanism is the dominant religion of the secular organizations in the uh, in the West. Uh, 
schools, media, also largely in Hollywood. Because we uh, don't believe in human worth, you see suicides going up. You see murders going up. Look at these things that we've seen, mass killings. Experiment on human embryos, which, by the way, uh, you might be interested to know that stem cells can be obtained uh, from things other than embryos. They can be obtained from adult cells and have been used and are much more useful. They have actually done some things with them that are helpful. Human embryos have never been successfully used on any disease that I'm aware of at the present time. But you can experiment and destroy them according to humanism. Now, a type of humanism is communism, started by um, Lenin uh, and then expanded upon by others, Marx and Lenin. Okay. Some of the things they want to do is they said the problem is economic. So we're going to get rid of private property and we're not going to allow people to have rights of inheritance. So they can't build up uh, an inheritance. And we're going to take over the factories. We're going to take over the agriculture. We're going to take over labor. We're going to take over education. And we, the uh, communist elite, know better. And then eventually what's going to happen is that we'll have a classless society. Of course, that hasn't happened. Communism is definitely anti-Christian and atheistic. And because the state is supreme, persecution of anything that seems to be against the state, that would be Christians would be against it because they're not atheistic and they do not bow before the state before Christ. And so they can be persecuted. Uh, we're still waiting, by the way, for the classless society that they promised everybody. Fortunately, despite persecution, the church is growing, particularly in China. And one last quickie reminder about animism. Animism is the prevailing worldview of folk religion, where everything is controlled by spirits, and spirits can be partially controlled by the right person, but they can never totally be controlled. The witch doctor can help, but always there's a bit of a problem. Well, brothers and sisters, I wish you a very successful exam, and I trust that this has been, or will prove to be, a help to you. May the Lord bless you as you move forward on your exam. And a final reminder, what we cannot do in our own strength, he can do through us. So as we try to apply what we've learned today, let us yield it to him and ask him to live his life through us. And once again, this is Dr. Bob Patton from Making Much of His Missions, wishing you a blessed day. God bless you.